Immigration Advocates Network podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast interview with Rocio Preciado, Community Education Manager, and Estefania Hermacio, Community Education Coordinator at Educators for Fair Consideration, or E4FC. My name is Casey Mears, and I'm the AmeriCorps VISTA and Volunteer Outreach and Resource Coordinator at the Immigration Advocates Network. We invited Rocio and Estefania to talk with us today about their organization. We will talk about how the current immigration climate impacts students and how teachers can support their immigrant students and their families. Why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about your work with E4FC. Um, yes, so my name is Rocio Preciado, and I'm the Community Education Manager at E4FC. And within E4FC, a lot of my work is to be able to provide information and oversee our community education program, uh, which focuses on delivering information and resources to best serve the undocumented student population. And some of those resources are tailored towards educators, students, parents, and allies. And our overall goal is to be able to provide resources that are going to support the, really at the core of it is the personal transformation of undocumented youth. Uh, within E4FC, we truly believe that it is personal transformation that allows undocumented students to be able to make decisions based on their potential and not on their perceived limits. And some of the information that we have through our presentations is um, information and resources that will allow students to be able to make decisions based on the opportunities that are that are out there. And um, myself, uh, my name is Stefania Hermosillo, and I'm the Community Education Coordinator at E4FC, and I get to bring, uh, like what Lucia was talking about, like bringing, you know, the resources, the information to people uh, daily. I give the trainings and the presentations for our community. So we receive uh, presentation requests, and people request us to be at their leadership trainings or be at their professional development days or be at their uh, parent night workshops or be at their college night fairs. And I go out and I share the kind of info, the kind of resources, and the kind of stories that can inspire students to see themselves uh, as agents of their life and see themselves as people who could successfully complete higher education in this country if that's something they would like to do. Yeah. And the great thing about our work and what makes our work, our presentations, uh, very different from other presentations is the personal experience that we bring into our presentations. A lot of the presentations that um, we share and we bring out, they come from the perspective of uh, people who have been undocumented who or who are currently undocumented to be able to let those who are going through a similar situation, whether they're immigrants who are undocumented or recently arrivals um, or have been here um, in the country for a long time and are still undocumented, giving them um, that sense of possibility through, our, through personal narratives. Great. Thank you so much. Um, so it sounds like you both work a lot with students, as well as teachers and parents and all different populations within the field of education. So I'm wondering if either of you have noticed any ways in which the recent political climate has impacted immigrant students and different situations in classrooms. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first thing I want to touch on that is, like, as we talk about 
immigrant students, um, I think one of the things that's opened up, uh, especially right now, is uh, really wanting to understand, like, who is an immigrant student, right, and that there's many, many kinds of immigrant students. There are uh, new arrivals, like students who recently arrived to this country, and some of the students who are new arrivals are not necessarily um, are fallen different, like, statuses, right? Like, there are people who would be considered refugees, um, and then there are people who would be able to have temporary protective status, which are people who, um, you know, receive a work authorization and protection from deportation because their country is in a state of emergency. And then there are people who are undocumented and have been here since, you know, we were six years old, three years old, like grown up in this country. And then young people that are barely arriving that are undocumented. Right? So first it's like inside of the political climate, it's like, wait, like there's all of these different um, immigrant students. Um, and I think that's the very first thing that I see, especially with educators, that could be confusing. Um, many, many people believe that like, oh, all of the students that are here that are in high school and don't speak English, they're undocumented. And that might not be the case. Um, and so one thing is that to understand that. And um, the thing I have seen uh, overall with undocumented youth, and these are would be undocumented young people, would be people who don't have status in this country at all, like no protection, um, or maybe were DACA eligible um, and not... Um, or never and never applied, and there is a heightened level of fear, and so people are afraid for their personal safety and afraid for their parents' safety. Uh, you know, sometimes immigrant student is is not an is an immigrant student given that they live in a house with an immigrant family, like as a family unit. There is an extended level of fear uh, given today's political climate, and um, we do also see that people are confused, which is what I was pointing to earlier. People are confused about what status they're in, how to, like, are they undocumented, are they non-documented, what applications should they be thinking about filing. Um, maybe they're gonna, about to go a status change, like going from undocumented to some other status, um, and people are confused. And then uh, things change rapidly. There's also some states that offer resources for undocumented students, such as financial aid in California through the DREAM Act and other states that don't. And so people could be confused whether they're eligible to go to college or not. Um, and, and there's a, a heightened level of confusion at the moment. Thank you. Um, so you touched on this a little bit, but and you mentioned college and applying to college and different financial aid and stuff, but are there any specific challenges that you think immigrant students face when planning for their futures that differ from U.S. citizen peers? Yes, the other thing that I would add would be the uncertainty um, of what will happen after, let's say, there is an opportunity for them to pursue their college degree. Um, the uncertainty of what's going to happen um, after graduating college. I know from a personal experience, um, growing up undocumented, attending college undocumented, one of the big questions that family members shared with me was, well, Yes, you're going to go to college. Yes, you have this full ride uh, to attend UC Santa Cruz, but what's the whole point if you're not going to have an opportunity to work? Mm -hmm. And so with my personal situation, um, I had believed that there was no immigration remedy available for me. 
um, and that there was never going to be an immigration remedy available for me. That was what um, became true in my mind. Um, yet again, I, I went ahead and I pursued an education, um, wondering what was going to happen after graduating college. And that is another one of the, of the concerns and the uncertainty that people bring as they bring into their decisions when they're making a decision whether to pursue college education is what's going to happen long term. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the things that, um, I got to see for myself was that I made decisions based on what was available for me at the moment. And later down the line, opportunities opened up for me. Um, later my family was able to legalize their status, um, after I got a chance to access um, a legal service provider um, who was able to guide my family through the, the immigration remedy available for us, which was um, the U visa, a visa given to people who have been victims of a crime in the United States. And so I bring this up because a lot of the questions that are coming up for people are about their future, the uncertainty of the future, and oftentimes that limits the understanding or it limits us from making decisions um, based on what is currently available um, by holding on to the uh, possibilities of the future um, and the limitations that we see for the future in the present moment mm -hmm. uh, without considering what's currently available. Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, the very, one of the things that an like an immigrant student or an undocumented student has to do that a citizen student does not is um, disclose their status to an educator, and that is not comfortable uh, for many students. And um, I remember the very first time that I went to a counselor to say to my counselor that I was undocumented and that I want to go to college. And my counselor, I remember her saying, like, wow, um, after I told her I was undocumented, she said, it's going to be hard. You know, from that moment on, after she, she kept on talking and she kept on telling me about like, you might need to apply for scholarships. She said you might need to, you know, graduate high school and then get a job and then go back to school when you're a citizen. Like she said, or if you try to go to school now, I just see it being really hard, but you could. So she was like, we talked, and, and I honestly just remember feeling really, like, dismotivated and, like, it was going to be hard. And that, that would be something that other students don't need to go through uh, when talking to a counselor, you know, about... Uh, pursuing college and planning a future. And educators sometimes have a view or have an understanding about the process. And so then, like, this educator saw it as hard, and then they kept on telling me it was hard. And I was like, yeah, 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 it's hard. And I kind of already knew that. So I see that um, it's also important for educators to, like, inspire and motivate um, students and, and include um, really all... Um, all perspectives and students and, and what they speak of. Yeah, and part of that, and I really like what um, what Estefania mentioned around um, safety because a lot of that also comes from um, the need to reassure uh, undocumented youth even more, um, especially when it comes to safety. A lot of undocumented youth um, do have a fear and a concern of filing and accessing, at least here in California where we have financial aid available, um, some students do have the uncertainty of 
is it safe for me to file for state financial aid here in California and providing my parents personal information, given that, um, given the conversation of um, immigrant and undocumented people being at risk of deportation. Mm. And um, one of the things that is um, necessary within that is um, oftentimes like the reassurance and the transparency um, to speak with students and family members about the things that are currently available. Um, one of the things that we like to mention and that we always make sure, make sure we mention in our presentations to address some of those fears and those concerns is uh, FERPA, uh, Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act of 1974, which uh, protects um, students' personal information when they're applying for colleges and universities as well as applying for um, any programs that are federally funded. And um, part of that is the establishment of trust um, and transparency. Um, for me, I remember navigating college um, was, I was guided through the process, but never was I told why certain things, where they, where they, they were. And so one of the things that um, it's important for us is to bring in that transparency as to why is it that we know that their information will be protected and how is it that there is this law FERPA that does protect their information and is backing them up to make sure that they have access um, to college. So you mentioned guidance counselors and how those are big conversations that you have to have and, and how students who are kind of revealing themselves as undocumented they, they go to these like trusted people at school. Um, so do you think, what are some of the ways you think educators and teachers, guidance counselors and school administrators are suited in, in their position to support immigrant students and, and how do you think, the, what do you think the best way is for them to approach that? Yeah, um, yeah an educator is, is suited by their position I don't know if it was like when they decide to be teachers that they signed up for it, but, but it kind of comes with it, right? It's one of those things that it comes with it that uh, for many parents, the right, the educator is the, the person that is with their child probably more than the parent is with the child, right? And so um, parents could trust educators or can, right? And I think as an educator, um, becoming a trusted educator for parents um, could be really, really important um, because of their position, essentially. Like, they could, an educator could watch the news and be like, okay, well, is that really happening? Is that not really happening? An educator has um, connections, networks, um, that they could have a sense of what is going on that a parent might not. And so they, based on that position, based on their networks, they could inform students better. And um, parents, and I, I know that so many parents watch TV constantly, and through TV, uh, there is so much media, so much um, also misunderstanding and also um, news that is, like, scary. And, and it, again, an educator could break that down and, and say, well, this is what we can do. This is how we can move forward. Um, and I think that what they what's critical is for an educator to be trusted. Like that, like the how, like you want to have posters up, you want to have um, visuals that you're like a trusted person, you want to have um, things you show that that demonstrate that you would be someone who an, a parent or a student could 
talk to and that you would be someone who they could trust. Um, I think that uh, when I went to that counselor and I shared my story or I told my counselor I was undocumented and then she told me it's hard and that, I pretty much stopped. I didn't ask any other educators anything. I I didn't. It felt so awkward. It felt distant. I I just decided, like, I'm not going to talk to anyone else now. And so I didn't. Um, and it's crit- I think it's very, very important that students have a very good experience with educators initially. Yeah. And acknowledging that it's, it, you know, it's a big, uh, being an educator is a big responsibility. I think just taking it back to the point that Estefania mentioned about the media, um, yes, it's true. So for families and for students, many times the very first source of information is the media. And so it is a big responsibility for an educator who has um, the skills and the abilities to research, to provide. Um, it brings up that additional responsibility to be able to undo, unfortunately, to have to undo a lot of the damage that the media does for our community, uh, which is oftentimes to instill fear in order to mobilize um, in a particular direction. And so um, just also recognizing the, the big responsibility that educators um, have. It is a big responsibility. Um, and yet again, um, it is um, a role that educators are um, suited for, um, giving um, the skills as an educator. So what are some things that you guys have seen educators doing that's really helpful and that's working really well to help their students through these big challenges? Yeah. Um, you know, like when I was, I really like to take it back to this one particular uh, moment in my life when I was in high school. I was ready to go back to Mexico. Um, that's the, my, the country where I was born. I was ready to go back to Mexico with the belief that I was not able to attend college here in the United States. Um, when I first started, um, when I made the decision to stay here in the United States, um, I had the chance to work on a project um, at my high school, which consisted of a of a budget. And so I had to include all of the different expenses that were going to come with attending college. Um, because of my immigration status being undocumented, I did not have any financial aid available to cover those expenses. Um, and it was my economics teacher who approached me and asked me, um, why is it that... Um, your budget and your estimate looks the way it does, a huge, large, negative number. Um, And it was very hard for me to share with him why that was because I have always been told to not share. I have been told not to share my immigration status with anyone. Um, Concerned that he might have been the wrong person to tell about my immigration status, my my first response was, um, well, I was... Um, I don't qualify for in-state tuition, so this is why I have this budget. Um, In hopes of him not continuing to ask me any further questions, um, that was my initial response. He looked very confused, and um, he asked me again. He said, "Um, what do you mean? Um, I ended up letting him know that I was not born in the United States and that that's why I had a large a huge negative number in my budgeting. Um, He met with me after class. Um, He said, let's meet after class. Um, I remember feeling super nervous. 
um, the first thing that came to my mind was he was probably the wrong person to tell about my immigration status. This is the very first person I ever shared this information with, and I have no idea what he's going to think of me now. The moment I walk in, um, the very first thing he said to me was, um, it is not fair that someone who has worked so hard does not get a chance to go to college because they don't have a social security number. I'm going to help you out. And those were the very first words um, of reassurance that made me believe that I belonged and that I did deserve to go to college. And it was those initial words of motivation um, that made me believe in myself um, and that there was someone there willing to support me um, and stating it. Um, stating that he was going to help me out. I wasn't sure how, but that he was going to help me out. This was the educator who had no idea about what was available in California for undocumented students. In 2009, we only had in-state tuition, which I was not aware of. He was not aware of. Um, what he did have was a network. He did have a network that he gave me access to. In a follow-up meeting, he said to me, you know, there's someone who is willing to um, support you, to support a student like yourself, meaning someone who was undocumented. Um, he has a scholarship available. When we finally met together um, and I had learned about 8540, um, we went ahead, we went back to revisit my budget, and that was the day when he shared with me that this, um, donor was willing to pay for my four years at UC Santa Cruz, and that's how I was able to attend UC Santa Cruz when there was no state financial aid available at the time. And I bring this up because one of the things that um, educators do have is uh, the opportunity to be transparent and honest with students. Educators are not expected to have all the answers, um, yet again, they are a huge bridge between um, the student and the sense of motivation. Um, and um, educators do have access to a broad network. Um, the educator um, in my life was able to connect me with people who had the opportunity to share with me the resources available. And one of the things that we do want to be able to offer, and we offer through our presentations and through our through E4FC as a whole, are the resources that educators can utilize to bring that. Um, to the students. Um, and again, the message of possibility um, that we want to share with people. Um, not because of the current challenges or because of the current situation that students might be in, but because of the possibility of accessing um, things now to be ready for the future. And that is you know, like really what we try to uh, bring in, just taking it back to uh, being able to make sure that students, um, educators are accessing the resources, their networks, um, to instill that motivation, that sense of motivation and possibility for youth. Yeah. And I, and I think some things other, some other things that educators can do, again, very important, like reach out to networks and, and, and tell students, like, I've got you, right? Like, we will find a way. I think that's definitely inspiring. Uh, they could also use posters, printable posters. If you go on our website, e4fc.org, you will find that we have posters that you could print 
something you could put on your classrooms and your offices. Um, you could also host Know Your Right training, and you could contact organizations like the ILRC. Uh, you could partner with any local um, legal service provider. Like if you were, a, you know, they could also bring in lawyers, bring in services that support having young people see if they're eligible for any immigration remedy. I think that's also important. Uh, at E4FC, we do offer a free legal anonymous and confidential service. It's a free legal service. You just go on intake.e4fc.org, and that service could be something that educators can share with students. And, um, you know, the other day I, I went to this event, and it was actually at a church, and it was educators were there. Like, the educators were the ones tabling. And they were super informed, super aware of the issue. They were talking about how their conversations in class are moving things. They're talking about immigration in classroom. And, and like, it was just really nice to see, like, educators doing something on their free time. Um, you know, that was that was nice. And so if, if an educator wants to be advocating and be visible, I think that's also an option. Um, and... Understand, sometimes understanding policies is important for educators to do. Just even understand when a student comes to you, you don't have to know, again, you don't have to know at all. You don't have to be an immigration lawyer, but to have some sense of it is important. Um, there's like, like the whole state zone movement um, versus like, you know, or like the sanctuary state, um, all of that, like have an understanding of that um, are things that students could do. We have a guide called the Top Ten Ways that Educators Can Support undocumented students. You can find that on our website, e4fc.org, and then educators could take that guide and print it out, and they have all kinds of ways that educators can support. So did you? Did I hear you say safe zone movement? Yes. Can you talk a little more about that? Yes. So the safe zone movement is all about um, people being able to say we're, we're a safe zone, and it's like some many places have declared themselves to be sanctuary. And so whenever we talk about movement building, there is actions that are called symbolic actions, and then there's actions that are intended to be implemented. And so the Safe Zone Movement has those two edges where um, many, 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 many universities, many districts, many, many places have now declared themselves safe zones and have even said, you know, we are um, going to be sanctuary. And it's, it argues that schools and educational institutions do not um, have the legal authority or resources to engage in federal immigration enforcement and thus should not cooperate with federal, federal agencies. So essentially, um, schools and educational institutions don't, are not legal enforcement places, right? So, so we, we don't have to and we shouldn't uh, cooperate with federal agencies in effort, efforts to identify, detain, or deport undocumented immigrants. And um, many, I know many districts around the Bay Area, places across the country have said we're safe zone. Uh, what I would encourage educators to know and to, to make note of is, is your school considered a safe zone school? Do you have a policy? And now if you do, given the symbolic symbolism of it, you now want to look and, like, what does it look like to implement it? Um, you want to do the work of, okay, if immigration wants to come, um, even though schools are considered uh, very low priority places, I mean, they're considered 
um, areas that immigration would not target or would not go to, it, it could be um, important for educators to know, like, if something was to happen, who's the point of contact? Like, who do we contact? And immediately everyone needs to be trained on it. Um, and that's all part of, the, like, the Safe Zone Sanctuary Movement. Thank you. So what do you suggest, how do you suggest educators support families and students if the worst-case scenario, if somebody is detained or somebody is deported or there's discussion or there's ICE enforcement or, in general, they, they find out about it or they see it happening? Um, what, do you, what do you think about that? Yes, and uh, very great question. Very great question. Um, I think it impacts both undocumented youth and um, students who come from its families. One of the things that we want to advise people, again, it goes back to the network uh, that educators in the school have. Um, it's very important to establish um, contact and connections, relationships with local immigrant rights organizations. Um, one of the reasons why that is is because um, currently local immigrant rights, local um, immigrant rights organizations are taking on a lot of the advocacy efforts in protecting the community. Um, one of the one of the things that uh, we've been able to see here in San Francisco, um, California, is we've been able to see schools. Um, partnering up with local or immigrant rights organizations to be able to connect families to in case of, a, of a, an emergency. And so one of the questions that I, um, that I oftentimes like to ask people, educators and um, school administrators is if, um, and this may even be a question that I would like to pose to the audience is, if a student um, has a family member who is detained by ICE, does the student know who to go to, um, who to speak to, um, in order to provide, to receive some sort of moral um, support as well, emotional support, and even a connection to a immigrant rights organization that they can trust? And so if the answer is no, um, it's important to start establishing connections with immigrant rights organizations as well as sharing with students um, what and creating a protocol of like with a student is facing this situation, um, how are we as a school, as an institution going to approach this? Um, the other thing that we like to advocate for is making sure that family members have access to know your rights information. ILRC has created a guide um, as well as a training module for educators to implement at their schools about how families can approach um, and handle the situation if they were to be detained by ICE. Again, this comes back to the preventive um, effort. The other thing that is important um, is for families to have access to rapid response numbers. There is a broad network of organizations who are providing um, support to people who have been detained by ICE or who um, are, yeah, so who are currently in contact with, uh, with ICE. Um, 
United with Dream has a national phone number that families that I truly advise families to be able to save in their phones. Um, and the number is one eight four four three six three one four two three. Again, it's one eight four four three six three fourteen twenty three. And um Rapid response number are part of the preventive um, of the preventive work uh, required for families to not be to prevent um, being detained by ICE. And again, once a family member is detained by ICE, it's important to have contact with local immigrant rights organizations. Um, and what the process has looked like has been um, local immigrant rights organizations have had the opportunity to contact. Um, the contact families to find out whether the family already has legal representation. If they don't, um, they do connect people with um, immigration attorneys um, if necessary, and they also assess the family's case to figure out whether the family will be able to benefit from attending court with the family or whether there is a need um, and it will be beneficial to be able to organize a campaign um, around um, the family's case, which is one of the things that we've seen um, happening a lot as well, which is social media campaigns, uh, rallies, and um, these organizations are taking on the lead of making, um, contacting um, the community as well as finding out what's going to be the best strategy to be able to support families um, in these situations. Mm -hmm. And I, I would um, ask, I would say like again if 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 it was like if I get a call like oh my god my student's parents have been detained or my student's family member uh, one is making sure the student's okay like is that student did that family have a um, a, a plan does that family have a plan or not like who's gonna stay with that child um, or is that you know all of that kind of the info and how to connect the student. Uh, a great organization, once again, is ILRC, um, and then they they do talk about, if you as an educator are listening to this and want to do preventive work before something happens, we talk about um, being, um, how do they call it, tranquilos pero seguros, like calm but safe, right? Like we want to be calm. I know that the, the tension's high, and we want to just make sure to, to be as safe as possible and doing some planning like just in case of the worst case scenario is important for parents to do that thinking. So educators can do that before ICE or before anything with immigration. Now, if, if immigration was to come to the door, if you're to find out that something like that happened, definitely reach out to the Rapid Response Network. Um, you know, as an educator, your responsibility is to teach, and you have 30 other students that you need to teach, and you have 30 other, you have all of the accountabilities that you have already within your role. And so you want to make sure you could support the student that you're responsible for. And, yes, participate in rallies, participate in the campaigns. Like, do what it is that you see you can, um, given your role, and leave room for the organizations that have been trained to respond uh, in these emergencies to respond. Like, you could, also, you could connect your, your, your person or who you know or whatever, whoever, with the people that are appropriate to handle the case. Um, so you talked a little bit about the, the preventative measures, the making a plan. Um, 
just really quick, what, what are the elements that you think are the most important in that plan? Yeah, so one of the, one of the things to consider, um, ILRC, um, the families visit ILRC.org, um, they do have a safety plan. Um, and so what that basically means is um, a safety plan is a list of steps that uh, families, regardless of their immigration status, uh, can create in order to reduce the level of stress caused by an unexpected event, right? So when we think about a safety plan, uh, specifically for the undocumented community, is um, that unexpected event, um, we see it as a potential deportation or a potential detention of a family member. Um, so again, it's something that families should have overall in this particular context. It's important in, um, to bring up, given the risk of an undocumented um, family space of being detained or in deportation. Um, some of the things that are important to consider for families is it can include um, child care preparedness plans. So determining who's going to take care of the children is something where to happen if the parent or legal guardian were to not be available um, to take care of the um, of the children. Um, also, um, creating an archive of important documents um, and making that visible to the potential uh, family member or person who will take care of um, the kids. Um, one of them that we do like to mention is very important that um, the kids have um, their passport and that all of their documents, um, they have the documents necessary in case there was to be a need to travel. Um, also creating a list of important um, information of the child. You know, is there, are there any specific contact information that a family member or whoever's going to be taking care of the, of the kid is going to have to access? Um, in case of an emergency, uh, where can they find the child? Uh, what does the schedule look like? Um, what is the contact information of educators or the schools? Um, and um, again, part of the prevention, preventive measure is also um, having red cars. It's also very important. Uh, very important that families are carrying with them um, know your rights um, cards, red cards. Uh, which outline um, the rights in case they were to be detained by ICE. Again, the Fourth Amendment, which is the right of not opening the door, um, as well as the right to remain silent. And um, the other thing important to include is um, to let family members know where they should, who they should contact, or how they should um, find out if they were to be detained by ICE to, for the family to be able to locate them if, in case this were to happen. Yeah, so to summarize, those the five elements were, or the elements that we talked about were the child preparedness plan, the archive of the important documents, make a list of important child information, have those red cards um, easily accessible and available, uh, and having a how-to of informing members of family of detained by ICE. And this is, again, the family emergency plan that uh, parents, students, uh, maybe with the help of an educator, um, would need to create for the family. Yeah. And, and to add to that, there's also um, communicating with the, with the child, with the children, and being honest about what this plan consists of. 
um, again, to be able to also reduce the level of stress um, of, of youth and having on a conversation um, with their children if they're creating this plan, what does it look like? Great, thank you. Um, so to wrap up, do you guys have any any last words, any last you know closing advice or resources that you want people to check out? Yes. Um, we would definitely want people to check out the, we already mentioned it, but I'll just kind of summar, summarize some of them. We would want people to check out the Dreamer Intake Service. That's at intake.e4fc.org. That would be the um, the free legal service that we offer. Uh, we would want people to check out the Immigrant Law Resource Center, ILRC. And so that one, ILRC, is really, really good um, and has the family preparedness plan. Um, if you were to go on our website in general, e4fc.org, and go to resources, you will find resources on the sanctuary movement, like everything detailing what the sanctuary movement is. You will find um, options beyond deferred action. So what kind of immigration remedies exist for young people independent of deferred action or beyond deferred action for childhood arrival. Um, I think that it's also important for uh, people to print those posters. Again, you could find those on our website on e4fc.org. There is also the top 10 ways to support and document people and document, and that one is something that you could also do. And the other, the other research, the other resource I would like to add. I know that we talked about the uncertainty of the future of undocumented young people who might not have access to an immigration remedy. Um, we do have our our project, which is Immigrants Rising, that brings up um, the ways in which alternative ways of making a living um, for our community. Um, and also one of the, our efforts is to be able to bring up conversations around entrepreneurship uh, for youth in our community to be able to, um, again, increase the sense of possibility uh, beyond college, for them beyond college um, here in the States. And um, one of the easiest ways to stay informed with our latest information, latest resources, is by visiting eFRFC.org and signing up to our lister. Great. Thank you both so much. Of course. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you.